Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. One o'clock on Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Randolph Childress, former Wake Forest Demon Deacon and uh, current ACC basketball analyst. He's going to be joining us in just 20 minutes. Also, Mike Glennon, Queens play-by-play announcer. And for those of you who want to hear about some Charlotte basketball, like Charlotte fan who tweeted at us, no mention of Charlotte hosting Rice Saturday at four in your rapid fire, but only ACC teams. Well, it's only because I wanted to give it a little bit more time for my alma mater. So thank you, Charlotte fan. Yes, I did want to talk about what Charlotte has accomplished here recently. How about three wins in a row for the 49ers? Four of their last five have been victories. Plus, they just got a huge victory, 55 to 49 over North Texas. North Texas atop the Conference USA standings. And so their next game against Rice, also they are 17 and 11. They um, have been, well, I'm trying to look at the, there have been two and two in their last four games. And so hopefully they can capitalize on that. Big time for Ron Sanchez to try to rattle off a few wins because it was not looking pretty for him towards the middle of the season three in a row big time win against north texas fifth in conference usa right now and another win against western kentucky by the way who they were uh, neck and neck with in conference usa so yeah really like what this basketball team is doing right now ali khalifa baby Jokic, balling three-point shot working Best big man assist getter in college basketball. Yeah, I said it. So big love to Charlotte. Appreciate you, Charlotte fan, for writing in. 704-570-9610. Feel free to write into the Garage Door Guru text line. Let's continue to talk about the Carolina Panthers here. Wes, you teased Lamar Jackson, Sam Darnold, just trying to figure out where these quarterbacks could be on the move. And you specifically mentioned Darnold. Would he make sense with the Atlanta Falcons, considering all of this reporting that could be going on of maybe he does land in the same division that he played in last year, but just with a different team. I mean, I think as a, as a backup, like I said, I mean, I view Sam Donald as a backup quarterback. So anywhere he goes, that's what he should be. Now, I don't know where Desmond Ritter is at as far as his development and what they feel about him, but I just feel like that right now, that should be their focus as far as a starting quarterback. I don't believe they're bringing in Sam Donald to be their guy. And I think if he does go there, he'll be a backup. Yeah, I think Desmond Ritter is who you would want to win that job. But right. Sam Donald makes a lot of sense to bring into that situation, in my opinion. Because if you want Sam Donald to come in, I can't imagine you're signing him to a long-term contract. Mm-hmm. He would provide some nice competition for a Desmond Ritter, who you want to get better and better as his years go on in the NFL. If you're not bringing back Marcus Mariota and you wanted to transition to Sam Donald, then maybe that would make some sense. And if I'm a Carolina fan, I don't really care that he goes within the division because he's not right. a, he's not the future here. Yeah. I mean, if you want him back as a bridge QB, we've had this conversation a million times. Cool. It does not affect your decision at that position for the future. That means you could still draft somebody. You could still draft somebody in the first round if you want to. You could still go out and, I mean, I wouldn't bring back Derek Carr and Sam Darnold, right? But if you wanted to bring back Sam Darnold and still draft somebody, that would be totally fine with me. But it doesn't mean that I'm losing sleep at night with the fact that he would go win the division. Hell, he can go to Tampa Bay. He can go to Atlanta. He can go to New Orleans. Seriously? It doesn't, it doesn't matter to me. I'm cool with it. Yes, very seriously. I mean, he's almost a guy that you may want to face on your schedule. 
<laughs> Fitty is in pain. You can talk about it, Fitty. You're you're mad at us for our Sam Darnold quote unquote hate man. You you want Sam Darnold back in a Panther uniform badly. Let's no, it's not. Let's just imagine you, you a want world him so badly. Let's just imagine there's a world where the <laughs> NFC South sucks again in 2023, which is a very realistic possibility. And let's say that he's in Atlanta or he's in Tampa Bay or heaven forbid he's in New Orleans. And the Panthers lose to said former Panther quarterback Sam Darnold. Mm -hmm. Could you imagine how enraged this fan base would be? Because you can bring him back and it not impact anything from your cap room, from you drafting your future franchise quarterback, right? Like we all agree with that. So if he walks out the door and he goes to a division rival, and then maybe that coaching staff gets the most out of him, which the, the one the Panthers have could do the same thing, and they beat you in a game that keeps you out of the playoffs, it would be a hard pill to swallow for this fan base. I mean, that is a very specific scenario, but I guess it could happen. Salesman wrote in, what would a Sam Darnold revenge game against the Panthers look like? 123 <laughs> yards, one touchdown, right. and two interceptions. Look, he played fine the last six games. He did go 4-2. and two. He did help out this team more often than not. There were a couple of moments where Sam Darnold looked like the Sam Darnold of old, which was not very good. I'll tell you this, though, Fitty, and I don't know which one you would rather have. I would rather have Sam Darnold on a one-year contract for, what, 10 to $12 million, I mean, 10 under that, whatever, than I would Derek Carr 37. I don't want to pay Derek Carr $37 million. I think that's too much for me. Ooh. You have advocated for both. Mm -hmm. Which one would you rather have? Derek Carr 37, Sam Darnold for like 10. One year. Ooh. Well, and Derek Carr, wouldn't be, well, Derek Carr wouldn't be one year. Yeah, because so. yeah, Derek Carr, you're investing three years, $100 million in, right? A lot of money. I, I, the thing, like, I think, I think if they were to go get Derek Carr, you, you're probably, you're probably taking Richardson at nine, right? Because he's going to need at least two years to get ready to even walk on an NFL field. I don't know if this fan base wants to wait. I, which quarterback? I think we all agree that if Carr is here, this team would be the heavy favorite to win the division, right? And twenty three. I don't know about heavy. With the it, coaching staff and everything, they have the best quarterback. They well, have the best roster. It depends on what Tampa does. I'm not buying their Kyle Trask love. Okay, like They're saying that because he's on the roster right now. I'm not buying it. Yeah. So it depends on what Tampa does and New Orleans, for that matter. What do they do at QB? If they don't get Derek Carr, Carolina has Derek Carr, but they get somebody else, maybe a Lamar Jackson, who could also be out there. I mean, yeah, that that's going to change the game in every single respect, even if they do pay him the most guaranteed money, even over to Sean Watson. But yeah, like I, I still wouldn't want to do the Derek Carr thing. Really. I just want to start fresh with a new QB. Uh, I'm with you. Like I said, I would like for them to get a rookie, but if I had to choose in a scenario that you're saying, I will go with Derek Carr. I actually like Derek Carr. I do not poo poo Derek Carr like you do. So I would like him to come in and be the quarterback uh, on a multi-year deal because, like I said, I believe in Carr and his talent. Let me ask you this, though. We both agree that Carolina is not just a quarterback away from competing for a playoff spot, right? Oh, mm -hmm. no, I disagree with that completely. Okay. I I think Wes does. I mean, in this division, about. if teams don't improve, then, yeah, you can say that. So if you're going to allocate that much money, $37 million, and then you don't have a ton of money left over to go upgrade some of the other positions. 37 is not bad, though, in a quarterback landscape. You're looking at guys at the top of it that are making 50 and 45. So 37 would put him. That's a bargain now because yeah. Daniel Jones is going to demand 40 mil. 
So what Derek Carr do you believe in? Because Derek Carr in the last few years, what the highest he's been was his second season was he was like probably the fifth best QB was a pro bowler. That was his second year. That was almost 10 years ago. And now here we are talking about him being what, like in the twenties. If no, you're talking, God, no. Well, in 2021, he threw for 4,800 yards and had a 68% completion rate. Okay. And how many yards has he thrown after that outlier year? 4,100 is the, the most. outlier year. He went four straight seasons of 4,000, my man. Yeah. You're talking and then about last it. year he went 35-22. Check me on the stats. You got him up. There's been one year where Derek Carr has thrown for 4,800 yards, correct? Yes. Every other year he has not thrown for more than 4,200. Okay, that's still really good, though. 42 you is go, really good. You go four straight seasons of 4,000 yards passing? Yeah, 4,000 is not hard to reach these days. It's not. The biggest thing that everyone forgets about him is that his best, the best defense he ever had with the Raiders mm-hmm. was rated 20th in the league. So in the bottom third of the NFL. So don't I? I or can't, the bottom half of the NFL. I can't have you turning the ball over as much as you did in the second half this past season. Seven of his nine interceptions. You got I a believe. prima donna wide receiver that wants the ball. Goodness gracious, man! The Devontae well, Adams thing. And I want to say, and, and playing Josh McDaniels, I'm just not sold on Josh McDaniels fair. as being some you know offensive genius. That that's fair, but man, how many coaches has he worked with now? Decent amount. I mean, John okay, Gruden, Josh McDaniels, and he's Basaccia. He's not produced. his fault. He's produced and been a good player through that, though. Okay, that's a lot of excuses. 2015, he's got 29 game-winning drives in the league. He's got the most fourth-quarter comebacks in the NFL. It's since 2015. Right. And that was the second year in the league where he did lead the league that year in fourth-quarter comebacks. And I'm telling you, that was in 2015. We are coming up on a I said, decade. I said 29 since then. That's not No, what I, I know. I know. I'm saying 2015, though, is when that started, right? Like, he was he was very good. He was a three-time Pro Bowler in 2015 I mean, to 2017. Let's also just look at the fact that he's 217 touchdowns to 99 interceptions. He's a complete, com, career 65% passer, and he's played in an organization that is dysfunction personified. So let's also add that to the equation because you got to put some context into this thing. He's a three-time Pro Bowler. Uh, he finished third in the MVP voting one season. It in 2015, yes. Okay, that's fine, but still. So long he's ago. He's produced. But regardless, so I told you 2021, and he didn't have a bad season this year, all things considered. I don't like Josh McDaniels like that as a coach. We saw him fail in Denver. So him playing there, and then, like I said, you talk about an organization that is super dysfunctional. He hasn't had stability since he's been in Oakland slash Las Vegas, whether it be them moving cities or the people in the front office or the guy who's on the sidelines for him. So you're a big PFF guy, and I like him too, right? But yeah. pro football focus, right? Where did he rank this year? Where do you think he ranked? I don't know, but I also know the context for what's, what was going on but around which, which him. Which PFF accounts for? Which PFF accounts for? 26th. That doesn't account for what's going on in the organization. How do they they great they great for that? Well, I guess they don't grade for right. the decisions, I'm but they grade for what's intent. happening on the field. No, but I'm but that's what I'm saying. But I'm talking about too, just the organization's dysfunction, all that stuff, McDaniel's, everything. So okay, but man. we can go to the raw numbers or whatever you want to say. So twenty six. So forty eight hundred yards is what you also keep going back to two years ago. Right. And since then, the only amount here that he's thrown for is like 41, 4,200. Like, that's not really all that hard. And I know the defense stuff. I get that. But at some point, can't you be? No, it's not. So what do you want him to do? Throw for 4,500 yards, 40 touchdowns every year for him to be worth $37 million? Yes. 
That and that's the key. How many quarterbacks are doing that though? If, if I'm paying him thirty-seven million and he's not a first-round star like a Justin Herbert or some of these other guys that you draft and are good in their second, third year, then yeah, I want you to be able to do more than what Derek Carr has been able to do. There was only nine quarterbacks this year that threw for four thousand yards. And how? Yeah, out that's out of thirty-two. So that's fine though. Like that's. But you're saying it's easy, like if by what you're saying, for there should be million, half the league should throw for four thousand. For thirty-seven million, you better damn well be throwing for forty-two hundred yards. If you're, if I'm going to pay you thirty-seven million dollars, you better be. The best quarterbacks are throwing for four thousand yards. When we're talking, when you look at this season, Mahomes goes five thousand. Herbert, Brady, Cousins, Burrow, Golf, Allen, Geno Smith, Trevor Lawrence. Those are your quarterbacks that's throwing for 4,000. Okay, yeah. And then, so if Derek Carr isn't as good as those guys, right? Like, clearly. No, he's not as good as those guys. But but you said that throwing for 4,000 is easy. And I just point to you, only the elite quarterbacks are throwing for 4,000. I mean, okay. I might not consider Derek Carr elite, but Derek Carr is an above average, very good quarterback in this league. Yeah, he's in the second tier. That's what I'm saying. Like, so he's, but you've talked about what, like 13? Like 13th ranked QB. And I guess ultimately we can come down. That's what you've said. I'm just using your words. You've said right. 13. So if we go to 13th QB in the league, I'm not going to pay the 13th quarterback in the league. 13, man. I'm not going to pay that guy close to 40 million. I'm just not doing it. Especially when you have to have so many other positions around. Plus, what is your goal? Is your goal only to compete in a bad NFC South, which is going to get better. No, because I think Derek Carr can win you playoff games. Okay, but what you're saying is that the Raiders, for since 2014, have been so dysfunctional with every single coach and every single personnel group that they put around him, outside of one year that they had him, there where they were able to make the playoffs, and granted, that was when he got hurt. I think Connor Cook played that playoff game. They had no shot, so I'm not even throwing the lack of playoff success once they got there in his face because he didn't even play. But that is a lot of years where even a couple of coaches now, like why has Gruden wanted to move on from him? Why has Josh McDaniels wanted to move on from him? That's two McDaniels different coaches. Don't count, man. I don't nobody care what McDaniels. So thinks. then he's, what? He's trash. So then John Gruden did, and John okay. Gruden won with him, and still wanted to move on. But but then then Gruden's narrative changed after he got in the actual building and coached him because no. once they no, were three didn't. they were three and zero oh, like like before those emails got leaked and everything that got Gruden exposed for being the the. The terrible person that he is, they seem to be in lockstep <laughs> on and off the field, right? N no, his they salary three and oh. <laughs> You say that like that's a damn Super Bowl. His, God, his salary. Why, why do you hate Derek? His Hall? salary will put him. His salary thirty-seven will put him at ninth right now. And then when you talk about Lebar Jackson getting his money and a couple other guys, you're talking about probably eleventh or twelfth. So that's would, not bad. Yeah, I would. I would rather pay rookie scale contract or somebody that's not 37 million you're talking about and plus like john gruden and you look at his coaching history you're talking about three and oh man like they were also eight and eight in 2020 they're also seven and nine in 2019 they i mean also i like john gruden 12. i like john gruden but let's not act like that he is andy reed uh, you, and he had his super bowl season in tampa but let's not act like john who and he inherited somebody else's team who said he was andy reed no but i'm saying but you <laughs> sitting up here like oh gruden didn't want him and then mcdaniel's like who are they two coaches that wanted a different quarterback. Like, I don't... Right, but they don't have a head coaching cachet to be able to sit there and say that about a good player, in my opinion. Let me ask you this. Like, I like Gruden a lot personality-wise, but let's just call it what it is. As a head coach, he was okay. Uh, yes. So, I guess we, right. need a, so we need a great coach 
to help Derek Carr be no, a I'm just saying don't bring me the opinions. Don't bring me the opinions of two average coaches telling me what they don't want because their credibility isn't that high to me to tell me, you know, what quarterback they want and who they don't want. They're, is, they're average to me. Fitty is getting mad. And he was saying it would help my argument. And this dude got high pitched saying he was three and zero. Well, I mean, because you're like here saying that they weren't on the same page and he wanted to move on while they dude, were actively winning football games. No, I look. I'm not saying this because it's a feeling I have. I'm telling you that there were reports about John Gruden not wanting Derek Carr, and you act like there was one season. Man, the dude coached there for three years, and then those three BFF games. BFF has after him the, as a tenth, tenth highest. Free agent. Which is, that's the point. If he wanted to move on from him so bad, he was there three years. Why wasn't his ass shipped out? Because there they was could, something there that he believed in him. Oh, yeah. And you know what? They took him to a mediocre record at best. Eight and eight. All right. So let's do Just this. You. Since well, you want to bring up PFF, I know. Well, let's go and then we'll come back. The highest rated season he's had is 10. All right. I mean, right? Okay. That's PFF. From, from 2019 <laughs> to 2021, he was ninth in passing grade. Ninth in yards per attempt. Seventh in big time throw rate. Yeah, and not a great record to show for it, but I get it. Like the, that's his fault. Yeah, twentieth in a dysfunctional franchise. Then a dysfunctional twentieth rated defense stat about seventeen yeah. weeks. But now. in that a dysfunctional dis- <laughs> but but <laughs> franchise, I can't. You have to add in those intangibles, man. Like how many quarterbacks for the are Raiders, with bad dog. defenses regularly? Yeah, he not played many. for the Raiders. And yeah, I'm just not going to pay Bad ownership, bad head coaches, bad defenses, not a lot of weapons around him, and he still made it happen. What? Devontae he, he, Adams he, was the first elite wide receiver that he ever got. Uh, he, he Tell made, me another one. Michael Crabtree and Amari Cooper oh, was the first round He pick. got Michael Crabtree on the back in his career. And I love Michael Crabtree as a 49er fan, but he was never Wes. an elite receiver. He was, too busy about he was never an elite passes. receiver. Uh, never. Uh, okay, Wes, you argued earlier about Devontae Adams being an elite receiver actually hurt their offense. Now you're arguing for No, it. I said he's the Michael first. Michael Crabtree and Amari Cooper were among the best wide receiver duos that he had, like in the NFL. Amari Cooper was a first-round pick. Yeah, he but invested. he disappeared in road games and big games. What so are you talking uh, yeah. about? No, that, that that point that I, out. I, I can confirm that. That's that point that out. Happened in Dallas. He disappears in big games and road games. 704-570-9610. Feel free to text in the Garage Door Guru text line. I want a quarterback that could be 3-0. Fitty does. We'll pay $40 million for it. We'll talk about it on the other side of the break. It's Wesson Walker, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. I'm back. We're back. This is the Wes and Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Hit us up, Garage Door Guru, text line 704-570-9610. Hit up the Wes and Walker page on Twitter and the WFNZ page on Twitter and the WFNZ page on Instagram. Hit them all up. Hit follow on all of them. But right now, we are about to have a man on here that needs no introduction, an ACC legend. You know the tournament run that he had with my Wake Forest Demon Deacons. Carolina fans, I know you remember the shot where he crossed over, (laughs) told him to get up and come in before he drained the jump shot, okay? The jump shot heard around the world. I got Randolph Childress. We have him here on the show, ESPN college basketball analyst as well. Randolph, what's going on, my man? I appreciate you having me. How you guys doing? We're doing great today, man. We want to get to the bottom of this ACC. I mean, the parody is crazy. The player of the year race is crazy. But right now, let's just start it off, man. Who is the best team in the ACC right now in your eyes? We have Virginia 
take the big L this week in Boston College. You got Miami, you got Pitt, but from your vantage point, who's the best team in the league right now? I think when the dust finally settles, I think it'll be Miami. Uh, some of that is just, I just think they're, what you saw this weekend with Virginia losing, they're a really good team. They hang their head on a defensive end, they control tempo, but their Achilles heels is their inability to knock down jump shots and, and, and perimeter shooting. And they struggle from that. They've been able to, because they control tempo so much, they've been able to, to get through that. But that's been a scare of theirs as a team all year long, and they've shown that. You know, they've had long scoring drops throughout the year. And, and so, they, you know, on the road, jump shots didn't show up. But if I had to hang, you know, my hat on who I thought was the best team, I'd say it's Miami. I just think they're, they're going to score. They force you to score. And I think they, they do a great job of creating turnovers. And they just put so much pressure on you off the bounce. They're a great shooting team. I just think when you know both sides of the ball, I would have to say it's Miami. Now you are on some great Wake Forest teams, and you play with Tim Duncan, and you guys would come into seasons with expectations after people knew that you guys were legit. What do you make of North Carolina as they come into their weekend game against Virginia? What do you feel has gone wrong for this team when you look at them? They just haven't handled prosperity very well. I, 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 so they, this team has. You know, I don't think anyone knows really ultimately what's going on when this team practices and everything else. But for whatever reason, it was maybe the tournament run a year ago wasn't an outliner. You know, was this team just kind of hovering around midway point last year and then they just started playing really, really well. Um, the biggest thing to me that I watched with Carolina, that without question, forget all the outside noise that you hear. They're just not the same shooting team that they were a year ago. And it's not just Brady Manning. Uh, R.J. Davis and Caleb Love from from the perimeter are not shooting. They, they, they've regressed in their three-point shooting. It's it forced teams to back off them. I know they won a Notre Dame game the other day, and they were two of 23 from behind the line. That is difficult to, to overcome, and they were over to do it. They turned it up on the defensive end and was able to, to push fast and, and close the game out. But they have just taken so many steps back in three-point shooting. It's just been... It's been shocking, to be honest. And then defense hadn't traveled as much as I thought it would. And it just succumbed to the pressures of being number one. It just hadn't been able to live up to it. How much does the bench hurt North Carolina, Randolph? You know what? We can say that this year, but how much bench did they have a year ago? Mm -hmm. You know? And so the problem is there's no shooting coming from the bench either. So you're compounding the problem because Trimble is not a three-point shooter. I mean, last year that team went on a run with six guys. I mean, that was it. I mean, we thought, all right, when the team coming back, we were going to have bench, we were going to have this production, and then this team was going to take another step, and it hasn't happened. And, uh, you know, we wanted the bench to step up and be a, you know, and get a bigger role in it and in different ways, certain different games, Nichols and Washington and Trumbull and these guys have all had their moments. But this team was going to go as far as R.J. Davis, Caleb Love, and Armando Baycott took it, it, will take it, and it's not over yet. I mean, they got two quad one wins at home, uh, Virginia and then Duke, and those won't be easy games, and particularly with Virginia coming off for the upset loss to BC. So we'll see if they got enough to get over the hump. But there's a there's cause for concern. I mean, there's nothing that gives you a reason to think this team can can figure it out. I often thought they, they, they I think they'll get in. I think they'll win enough games throughout the tournament to get in. Uh, but I don't expect them to go on any magical run. You just don't hit a switch on the wall and turn that on. You know, by this this far in the season, you are what you are. You know, they're, they're 28 games in, and there's no surprises here. 
Randolph Childress talking ACC basketball with us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. You take a look at Wake Forest, your alma mater. This is a team that I thought was going to make the NCAA tournament, maybe through the first quarter, maybe even the first third of the season. And even Steve Forbes just talked about them maybe not winning the right games. Anytime you've had the ranked opponents, the Demon Deacons just have not been able to get it done. But it seems they're so close, and that was the case last year, too. How pleased are you with this Wake Forest basketball team and the progress they're making over the last couple of seasons? Oh, I mean, you have to be. As an alum, I'm proud of him. I'm a fan of him. I had the privilege of working with Coach Forbes for the first year there, and I'm excited about the future and what it holds for Wake Forest. But I think everyone has to make an adjustment, and that adjustment is what do you have to do under these metrics to figure it out? Now, no one knows what the heck the metrics are, right, and what what, what the requirements are because everyone can talk to us like, how does this work? And but they, I don't think it's going to change. I think they're going to be here. They're going to be here to stay. And figuring out who do I have to play. And I, the one thing I would say is I think Wake has to play a better non-conference game. I think you have to do a better job of trying to play as many really good teams as you can early. I, I, I know teams don't want to do that. You want to get wins. But right now, you're not going to be able to – it does you no good to play – a Utah Valley or any of these teams like this South Carolina state early on and get, and get wins because it puts so much pressure on you when you get into your conference play that if, you know, you, you, you beat Carolina and that should be a quad one win, but they're not even in the tournament. So it doesn't help you anymore. So now you're totally relying upon your tournament of, of value. And I do think the, the ACC is unfairly scrutinized and saying they're not as strong. I think there's better play there, and I think some of the other leagues, even in the Big 12, even though that's the best conference, you get past the first four or five teams, they're so top-heavy, I think it's a significant drop-off beyond that. And I I, I think there's better teams in the ACC when you get around four and five. I think some of those teams deserve more national attention, like Pitt. I think Pitt's a really good team that no one's talking about, you know, in the ACC. So, but I'm proud of Wake. I think they're doing the right things. But I think a lot of teams now, with the way that the, the qualifications to get into the NCAA tournament, I don't think anyone understands the metrics of it. But to save yourself, no one penalizes you for losing against really good teams. So you got to try to schedule, schedule as many good teams as you can. Randolph, another big debate that we've been having, man, the answer has been changing week after week, not only trying to figure out who is the best team in this conference, but right now who is – the player of the year in this conference in your eyes because one guy will step up and have a great week and then they'll fall off. So who in your eyes is the player of the year as we speak today? Man, uh, throw me in, throw me in, throw my name in a hat for that one. (laughs) You know what? I I wanted to, I really believe you got to reward winning. I think that matters. Um. Armando has had the most dominant performances in this league. And I have, I can't, but it's hard to pick that team right now and save anyone. But Armando has the numbers. Uh, Ty, we talk about Wake and Tyree Appleby has been really good. And you're talking about a guy that's going to potentially lead. If the season ends today, he's leading the ACC in scoring and assists. Now, you can say, hey, Alondis Williams did that to the very end. So is it the system? The team is good. They're not going to, you know, right now they're outside looking in the tournament. So it's how do you penalize that? Virginia's right there, but it's, I don't know if there's one guy that has the player of the year caliber. So 
I'm just all over the place as everyone. I think Barry and J.B. Burton has been that for Pitt. Same as Hunter Tyson for Clemson. You know, Isaiah Wong, there's so many guys. But if I, I, if I had to bet, I think ultimately it'll be Armando Baycott. I think he'll, his numbers and what teams do in schematically trying to stop him. He is the guy that you're changing your defense over and you're doing different things to, to stop him. So if I had to vote, and say, to, you know, right now, I, I think Armando Baycott will get it. Um, but it, it's as wide open as I think it's been in quite some time. And then looking over at the Duke Blue Devils, what do you think about this team? Because over their three-game winning streak, they're starting to shoot the ball better, 48% from the field, almost 40% from three. They're taking care of the basketball. Do you feel like this is a young team that's starting to peak at the right time? They're healthy. I think the biggest thing is now – uh, prior to the last couple of games, this second time, you know, to, to get Derek Whitehead back in the lineup, he was starting to play well early before he had the setback against Virginia Tech. He was their second leading scorer at that moment, and he's their most versatile piece. He's allowed them to play fall, small ball. Like with him coming in, I think a scary lineup that no one would want to play for that team is if you decide to go small ball with your three guard lineup, you know, and having Proctor there with Jeremy Roach, and then having any combination of that third guard, and you slide Derek Whitehead to the to the four, and you put Filipowski at the five. Good luck guarding him. Randolph Childress joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline talking ACC basketball. Randolph, you look at NC State, Traquavion Smith is telling you that they're the best program this year in the state of North Carolina. What about in the ACC? I know we like Miami towards the top of the conference, and they're certainly very good. How close is NC State to Miami and the possibility of them possibly making a, a run in the NCAA tournament? They're right there because the dynamic guard play. I mean, Taquavian Smith, John Kell Joyner, and Casey Morsell. You you can you can make the argument that was, that three guard combination is as good as any in the country. And John Kell, and, and what makes them so unique as well is John Kell Joyner is probably as underrated defender as there is in the country, not even the league. And Casey Morsell is a is a three and D guy. He's a forty percent three point shooter, and he's an elite defender. So they have two of the better perimeter defenders. And then with DJ Burns inside. You know, the you know he just he's a unique player, and that no one has answered that riddle with him. He plays at his own pace. They're so unorthodox in how they use him. He's an unbelievable passer, maybe the best passing big in the league, and he gives them balance. So when they they've shown that they can win when they're struggling with jump shots, you see them feed him, and he closes games for them. So they're going to be a nightmare. They're a team that I think that'll get through the first weekend, and then it depends on how well their backcourt and their guards shoot. But they are as talented as, as any league, a team in the league. They're they're getting healthy now. They got Clark back. He's the only jump shooting stretch four in that team. And I'll be honest to tell you, I, I think they are. I think they're the best team in the state right now. So when you look at the ACC overall, I, I think North Carolina would get a lot of votes as the most surprising story in the ACC in a negative way. What about a positive way, Randolph? Is there a team you look at or a player, a coach, anything that you look at in this year? via conference play and say, okay, that's the most surprising thing I've seen this entire season. It's got to be Pittsburgh. It's got to be Pittsburgh. I, I, how do you argue? Let's be clear. Coach Coach Capel came in coaching for his job. That's not easy to do. His best player who was receiving all ACC votes, that was a preseason second team, with, Joe Hughley was there, and he's gone. He wasn't playing. 
that, you know, you had the Dio Johnson situation come out of there. There was negativity on ACC media day. And, I, and Wes, you were there. I thought the craziest thing happened. We were at ACC media day, and, and the commissioner Phillips was talking. The second question that was asked to him was about Dio Johnson. And, and that was just it's like, wow, that's a bad vibe coming out of Pitt. From their style of play, that team was preseason picked 14th in the league. And we're sitting here today, and they're tied for first. So I, I, I think it's, you know, there was a race for coach of the year. I think that race is over. I think Jeff has solidified that. And I think if there's a feel-good story about the league and what's happened is Pitt's going to make the tournament. And, again, to make the tournament when you were picked next to bottom in the league, is uh, is nothing but but amazing, and you got to give kudos to Pittsburgh, Jeff Capel, his staff, and those kids and those players because they they've done a complete turnaround for that program, and they've got a player to year caliber. I mean, Jamarius Burton has been as good as any guard in this league, and he'll be a first teamer. There's no doubt about that. And kudos to those guys. I mean, we knew Miami was going to be good. We knew Virginia was turn, returning everybody. They was going to be good. There's no surprise they were at the top. But there is no one can sit here and tell me that they thought Pittsburgh and even Clemson was going to be that. We knew once Darquavian and Smith came back to NC State that they had a chance. We didn't know that Burns was going to emerge the way he has. So uh, I think the biggest surprise would have to be, hands down, I think it's got to be Pittsburgh. Randolph Childress, ACC legend, Wake Forest legend, ESPN college basketball analyst. We appreciate the time, man. We're going to have to have you back on before the ACC tournament so we can torment Carolina fans and you can let us know what you think about this year's ACC tournament field. Appreciate it, man. All right, man. Appreciate you guys having me. All right. That was Randolph Childress. And then before we go to break, Fiddy, let's get that second flash of the day. Calling on him quickly. <laughs> that, how dynamic are you? How many how many mouths, heads do you have to do a couple of different things at once? I try to be very dynamic. And you can't torment me at all, Wes Bryant, because on my phone here, uh-huh. I've got the Mets intra squad game on oh from, my God. From, from spring training. <laughs> so you know, say whatever you want. That's man. a baseball fan. You know, it, it is not gonna bother me at all. Are and, those Mets shorts new, by the way? Yeah, this is part of all of my gear that I bought two weeks ago. It's all finally made its way. So we're basically only missing Mets shoes, and I guess we don't know if you have Mets underwear or not. I don't have Mets underwear because I don't wear underwear when I'm at home. Okay. Oh, very good. Um, I call us. Yesterday, <laughs> the Rams and All-Pro linebacker Bobby Wagner, they agreed to part ways. We've seen the Panthers make a lot of splash hires. With their coaching staff, could this be a splash move? We talked yesterday about that linebacker position. Yes, we did. Could this be a guy that Carolina could bring in to help bolster that linebacking group here in Carolina? As I've talked about the value of inside linebackers, which is where the Bobby Wagner category fits for sure, this is a guy, even at 32 years old, where you can put up as among the top five linebackers of the last 10, 15 years. And it would only be, like, what, a one-year deal? He was awesome last year. Like, this is not somebody that was battling in the twilight just to keep his NFL career alive. He thought Seattle was on the downward trajectory. He goes to a team that he thought was going to compete for a Super Bowl, and it just didn't work out because they had a whole bunch of injuries. And now he's looking for a different place to win. I would not mind Bobby Wagner 
on a one-year contract. I'm not signing him to like four years or anything like that, but Bobby Wagner on whatever one, two, decent amount of money. Yeah, that's an inside linebacker with an exception to the rule that I kind of have at inside linebacker. Bobby Wagner would fit the bill of, okay, he would uh, be worth a contract. Yeah, but he won't come here because he's a 4-3 linebacker and we're going to be running 34. Even though we have uh, multiple fronts, I mean, maybe they could entice him with that, but he doesn't. He's been a 4-3 linebacker his whole career, man. He's been so productive there, so I don't know if they'd be able to snag him. But we'll see. When we come back, though, we got Mike Glennon, Queens play-by-play, and uh, this is the Wesson Walker Show on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. College basketball-filled conversation today on Wesson Walker Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ. Queens men's basketball, they have a game tonight against Liberty on the road. They just lost a couple of nights ago at home to Liberty, one of the top teams in the A-Sun. It's going to be an awesome matchup between two excellent guards, Kenny Dye, Darius McGee, both setting their all-time scoring records at their respective universities just last week in the same week. Pretty crazy. Who better to talk about it than play-by-play announcer Mike Glennon joining us now on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Mike, how excited are you for tonight's matchup? Guys, yeah, funny. I, I am very excited to watch what they do. I mean, uh, we get a bit of an encore of what we saw the other night uh, between Kenny Dye and Darius McGee, of course. Darius McGee ends up setting a Sun all-time scoring record as well. All in the same week, not a bad week for him. But uh, I know I talked to Kenny after the game, and uh, he's he's definitely locked in and ready to go tonight. Wants a little bit better showing. And, again, you go on the road, no pressure. Try to get the upset and see what you can do. Well, and Mike, explain to everyone the scenario for them to be able to make the playoffs and how close you think they can get to actually doing it and making the playoffs in their first year in Division One. So, funny enough, I'll give you guys an inside scoop here. Oh, excellent. Uh, turns, turns out that, uh, from what I understand, that regardless, win or lose tonight, the tiebreaker scenarios were off by a couple of digits, and that means that Queens is actually in. Um, and so they will be the 9 or 10 seed, depending on what happens tonight. But they should be in one way or another, though. I think it's more about a pride situation than anything else. Uh, they were disappointed at home, three straight losses at home by single digits, and I know that doesn't sit well with this group of guys. So they're going in knowing that even if they're going to the playoffs, they got a little something to prove tonight against Liberty, and I know that they're uh, they're ready to step up and get the job done. When you look at this team and you watch them play, the Atlantic Sun leads all NCAA conferences in three point attempts per and three point attempts total. This season, when you're broadcasting these games and, and you're calling them, I mean, how crazy is it that this is just the new era of basketball and guys are just putting it up, not only Queens, but their opponents as well? Well, you know, it is it is funny you say that because I look at it as you got the one through five guys on the court that can pretty much pull up from anywhere inside the building. Uh, and, and that's it's a different brand of basketball. I mean, I grew up in the, the Jordan era. And, you know, three-pointers were there, but they weren't as big as they are now. And, you know, now with the analytics, and I know Grant Leonard, uh, head coach for Queens, is a big analytics guy, and, you know, he will be the first one to talk about the three-point percentages and the way the game is built nowadays. And that's why a team like Liberty can start two guys that are five foot nine, is because they can shoot anywhere inside of half court and probably beyond that if they wanted to. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting to watch. 
you know, these both teams are very capable of driving into the paint and working inside out. But, you know, nowadays it's more of the work outside in mentality. So that's always an interesting thing to watch. But it does make it exciting, makes it high scoring. But at the same time, you know, you miss the posterizing every once in a while. What's your viewpoint of this Queens team as they enter the conference tournament, and what do they need to do to seal the deal and and, and win the championship? Well, you know, coming into this year, I think the biggest question was, do they belong? I think they've answered that time and time again so far throughout this season. Uh, I think they do belong at the Division I level. Of course, that's always the question you get when you go to D2 to D1, but uh, I think they've answered that call pretty well, especially in one of the best mid-major conferences in America, in the A-Sun, uh, night in and night out. You look at their losses, yeah, they have a handful of losses, but none of them more than single digits. And so I think that, you know, they look at it, they pull off an upset a couple of games ago against the number one seed in the A-Sun tournament at Kennesaw State. Probably could have swept Kennesaw State this year if a couple other things go right at home, but they went into a place where, Kennesaw State was undefeated, uh, final year in their convocation center, and they hand them their only L on the year in the convocation center down in Kennesaw. And so this is a team that can go and play, not to mention they're 2-0 and in, uh, in neutral sites, but in the eighth sun, it's higher seed hosts. They'll be into a play-in game on Monday night. You win that when you go on to Tuesday night to play in the quarterfinals. It'll be at Kennesaw State, a place where they've already found success, and I think that uh, they'll tap back in that mentality and put together a couple of good efforts. Well, and look, we'll talk about Queens in just a moment uh, to finish the interview, but I did want to shed some light on Darius McGee. The guy's absolutely insane, Mike. What we saw from him at here in Queens uh, just a little bit ago, um, a couple nights ago, he went for over 30 points. A couple of games, he scored over 40 points. This guy's 5'9", and yet could be an NBA draft prospect because of his efficiency and even the way, as we talk about, those three-pointers being all the rage in the analytics age of the NBA. Just how special of a player do you think Darius McGee is um, compared to all the other players you've seen in conference this year? I mean, especially when it comes to long-range shooting, there's just, there's no comparison. Uh, he just, no matter if you got a man in his face, doesn't matter where he is, 30, 35 feet, I mean, he could put the shot up. And, I, you know, I made the joke to you, Walker, before we had the game the other night. I watched him warm up, and he was at 30 feet in warm-ups and didn't touch rim in 20 shots. And so it's one of those things that if you can give him about a half inch of space, and that's all he really needs. And it's just, it really is special to watch a kid like that. And that's the thing, you know, nowadays you take the height out of it. It used to be, well, the taller the better. Well, you got a guy that's five foot nine that can score 30 plus on a consistent basis. Now all of a sudden you don't even need to talk about height. It's just, okay, you need to put a guy on him that can really just suffocate him. Caleb Matthews did a good job in the first half last night, but. You know, it's that old adage, you, can, you can't stop them, you can only hope to contain them. Uh, and unfortunately, in the second half, they weren't able to do that. I think the defensive mindset will switch up a little bit tonight in this matchup against them. But that being said, you're going to have to deal with him putting up 20-plus consistently. And uh, how do you combat that on the other end? How do you take the other four guys out of it? Well, and last thing before we let you go here, Mike, who is a player on Queens that you think has improved the most over the course of this season as they have made that transition into Division One? I? I think it's a tie for me, uh, both between A.J. McKee and B.J. McLaurin. Um, I, I think... You know, A.J. McKee, we always talked about his defense, but he is an offensive guy, was in high school, 1,000-point scorer, was a sensational offensive player. But this year he's really blossomed. 
Um, and still the only guy that has scored in double figures in every game, uh, and that includes a guy like Darius McGee. So to be in that conversation is pretty big. And then you got a guy like B.J. McLaurin, and not only has improved his offensive efficiency, but has improved his rebounding numbers. I know a 6'8", you know, 225 uh, power forward, you want a lot of rebounding numbers out of him. Hadn't seen that in previous years, but this has been a year that he has really improved and now has worked into the starting lineup in the stead of Gavin Raines losing him. And, you know, we've talked about how do you replace a rebounding presence like Gavin Raines, but B.J. McLaurin's been sensational, and he's a true stretch five that can fill it up from the right block or he can step out to 25, 30 feet and, you know, hit nothing but the bottom of the net. And to have that, that's a special talent, a guy that could see a pretty decent season, I mean, professional career if he goes overseas or whatever it might be. So, Tip is set for 7 p.m., Liberty hosting Queens. Queens looks like they're in the tournament, but still, pride thing. You do want to get that win against a great team in the A-Sun. Again, tip set for 7 p.m., Watch it on ESPN Plus. An excellent matchup, especially that guard matchup between Darius McGee and Kenny Dye. Um, Mike Glennon been calling games at home every single one of them this year and should be a lot of fun to watch this one. Mike, thank you so much for joining us once again, man. We appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure. By the way, Walker, uh, your dunking ability, I got to say, hopefully you get a sponsorship out of it. Yes, thank you. (laughs) People have been clowning me. It's only nine feet. It's only nine and a half. But I appreciate you, Mike. Finally, my play-by-play counterpart is giving me the compliments. Mike, I appreciate the time, man. Thanks again. No problem, guys. Have a good one. That's how you end an interview, by giving me praise. That's all I ask for on this show. (laughs) And I can't get it from you two, so I have to go to Mike Glennon and bring him on to get some praise. One more hour to go on Wes and Walker. It's Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.